This is Drive and I'm Jim Farley. Could you imagine if you pulled up next to a car and look out your window and there is Kelly Clarkson driving right next to you? She's the host of her own talk show and a Grammy winning songwriter. And at the stoplight, she's blasting music on her stereo system. She recently told me the story, embarrassingly, that the person next to her rolled down their window, looked at Kelly and said, is that an unreleased new song? And it was. Is there a better way to listen to a new hit record than through the car speakers and your own stereo system? Not through noise-canceling earbuds or headphones, but through the old-school experience of listening to music in your car. And I knew at that moment, Kelly and I were going to get along just fine. My first car I ever bought for myself was a Ford Explorer Sport. It was way too much for me to be buying as my first car, but I did it all by myself. And I had like three jobs to like make the payment for that and the insurance. But, you know, it represents freedom for a lot of people. And um, I'm a Ford girl. My, one of my favorite cars I've ever owned is a Ford Bronco. It's a 67. And um, mm. I still have her. Her name is Dr. Quinn because we're nice. forging new paths in the Western territory. Um, <laughs> but I, I I love her. She's seafoam uh, green and just restored beautifully and has a Coyote 5.0 in it just because I can't right. work on cars. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I drive a 73 Bronco most days to the company. So, oh, so I love, my kids are obsessed with my Bronco. Yeah. Love, love the Bronco. We go everywhere with it where I can. My yeah. wife's always concerned about the safety. Now you have a 250 and an F. 350, which is, mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge truck. Here's the thing. <laughs> okay. So I, I got it in Montana. So in Montana, when, okay. you know, you're carting things back and forth, the grocery store for my ranch is a full hour away, you know, and that's without snow and ice. So they're big trips usually go into town to like get all your stuff and bring it back. So, and you need, like we pull trailers, we pull, we have huge like skid steers, like huge equipment that were like four wheelers, all that kind of stuff for um, the ranch. So you have to have a big vehicle. So then when I got separated, it just, a lot of my stuff came to LA. So the biggest mm -hmm. joke in the world was me driving around Los Angeles, which <laughs> Even in a small vehicle can be tough. And I'm in an F-250 making my way through a Starbucks drive through for my children for <laughs> vanilla bean frap. But it's so helpful because I'm also a gardener. So I love going to Lowe's and like just loading uh -huh. up. Yeah. So I, it's just a helpful vehicle. I think I grew up around trucks. So I've been obsessed with them since I was a kid. Makes perfect sense for a Ford person. And um, yeah. so, so you said freedom about your Explorer, but what what did that first vehicle represent for you? Oh man, well it's the thing I was most proud of too. It's like getting your first paycheck, right? You're, I worked mm -hmm. at a movie theater as my very first job. And um, I just remember, you know, getting your first paychecks and then like starting your own bank account and like just those milestones, I think. Cause I, I come from a family with no money. Nobody was gonna be able to help me. So I had to make whatever I was going to have and pay for my own gas, like all that stuff. So it's a lot. So it's like, once you get that job, then you have to have a car to get, because if you live in Texas, you, it's not a walking city. <laughs> it's like anywhere. <laughs> it's our walking state rather. And so you have to have a vehicle. And so, oh my God, I had my visor with all my CDs. I could have five CDs in there at once. I don't have to reload. I mean, it was just the most amazing thing ever to be able to drive 
to even if you're just going to work and you have to like only go to work and you don't have a life because you're trying to pay for everything. Um, it was just, it just represented opportunity and like what would come. And it represents working hard and what that feels like, that payoff. I loved that vehicle. I, it was, it was burnt orange and it was freaking awesome. And I loved her. Do you sing in the car? Is that Absolutely. like a thing for you? What would surprise people about how you sing in the car, what you sing? Um, well, I love singing harmony, so I'm never singing the lead. Um, I'm always, I, I love putting on any kind of music. I probably listen to 90s country, like 80s, 90s country more than anything. Um, and I just love singing harmony. I think it's pretty nostalgic for me too. Just that's where I grew up singing, not the lead ever. You know, I was always in choral things with groups and I just find harmony more interesting. So I'm always singing harmony. I will say I got caught and that was here in LA and I was you know, when you're making a record, and it wasn't this record, it was my last record. I, I was driving around and I was having to listen to like the mixing and then the mastering yeah. part of yeah. that process. And so I always listen to it in my car on those speakers. I listen to it in headphones and then I listen to it in another speaker. Like in my house. I always listen to like three different places. And I was totally blasting my own music and i look over i look over at a red light and this dude is hanging out the side of his thing and there's a girl driving they're like is that your new music and they were like <laughs> and there and i was like oh my god i totally got caught like jamming to myself but i swear it was for a reason and i was like oh it is but i'm just i'm listening to the mixing they don't understand what this means i just look like a tool um so that's happened to me before as well yeah <laughs> yeah well, yeah, you're like like everyone else. <laughs> I do. I'm still the out. girl that sings in the shower. I'm I'm trying to figure it out. And so I still am the girl that does that. So do you um I read somewhere that you actually had to live in your car at one point. My uh, Ford Explorer Sport. Oh, all right. I slept in that car often actually. The drive from Texas to California I did twice. I and see. I had to stop and sleep in the back. Um I like truck stops, which I would not advise. It's kind of like a Dateline <laughs> special waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have a choice. I was tired. But then I had to sleep in my place burned down uh, here in L.A. Like after high school, I moved out here for a bit and and worked. And then my place had burned down and I just didn't have anywhere to go. So I had a, a crunch gym membership and I had my car and I still had that membership to last at least the, you know, next month. And so I would shower there <laughs> right. and live in my car and go to work. <laughs> sure. It must have been kind of mixed feelings uh, when you had to sell that car or move on. Yeah. I think the only thing that was like that kind of changed for me was it was what got me there, you know, to this point. And then it was exciting to be able to buy, mm -hmm. you know, when you first make your big money, you're like, I'm going to yeah. buy like a really, you know, expensive, whatever. And it's so funny because I don't even remember what I bought. But still to this day, that Ford Explorer Sport was the end all for me. Oh, I know what I did. I bought a 67 Chevelle. That's what I did. Nice. Wrong brand, but nice car. A wrong brand. But I did buy, I, I loved his name was Charlie. Yeah. And he was a rocket on wheels. Hmm. But yeah, it's so funny because I never... I never really drove that one because it, I can't work on a car. Nobody I knew could. So mm. I ended up in my Ford Explorer Sport driving that mostly anyway. We got to find out what happened to that car because I, I don't know. I My first car was a 65 Mustang I bought for $500. Oh. I drove it across the country without a license. And 
I I think That's a lot about like the older I get, the more I wonder what happened to that car. Like cars have stories. They could like it didn't yeah. just stop. It kept going. So I do have, whenever I bought Charlie, I just remembered I also bought around that same time. It was a 49 Ford and um, mm. his name was Sonny. And mm. it was just so bright yellow. And I had that that truck forever, but I ended up having the same problem. And actually I ended up giving, you said cars have a story. My musical director who's been with me since I won American Idol, he was like, oh my God, I love your truck so much. Where did you get it? And he was looking for something like that. And I kept thinking, he knows someone that can help him redo this, like whatever. So I ended up giving him the truck. No, and okay. so he's got it in Nashville now. So it's got like another life, but it's a cute truck. Now, did your all your cars have a name? Yes. Do yours not? That's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> so what logic do you use to name them? There's no logic to anything I ever do. <laughs> um, I actually, my Lightning Ford is called Lightning Leno. And that's because Jay helped me get it. And so I was like, I, I love that truck so much. It's the one I drive everywhere. Um, I named them all. Yeah. That is really cool. I got to tell people that in our plant that made your Lightning. It's like a mile from where I am. I love that truck, dude. Yeah. So I have to ask a little bit about what were you like as a kid? Pretty much identical to this. Um, <laughs> I I haven't changed in that sense. I actually ran into a, uh, a dancer that I hadn't seen since like literally idle days, which is t over 20 years. And Gilbert was like, oh my God, you are the same kid that I met. I know you're 41, but you're the same because we were all just hanging out and dancing and having a good time. And he was like, you literally have not changed since like the first moment I met you. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I progress, I guess, obviously I get wiser about things with age, but like, um, I'm still highly impressed by things and excited and curious and I'm not jaded. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm the same kid talkative and that used to get me in trouble. Now I get paid for it. <laughs> well, when we all read your life story and of course we, we don't know it really, but, and, and going through it, you know, you, you became famous quickly, but you really fought for the life you have. And what's your relationship with luck? You know what? I, I believe in luck because I, I know far too many people that wanted to make it and have the talent or more talent to even be at this point. But I think life is a lot of hard work and I do think it's luck as well. I think it's aligning of the stars. You know, you you meet the right person, you get the right phone call at the right time, you make this decision to do stuff. Like it's, I do think it's a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. Cause there's, there's also the thing too that I tell artists that I work with on The Voice, like just cause it's full circle for me, I've been them. It's like every step after this is still hard. Even if you make it, even if you have huge success, it's still hard work. Even Ford, the company, such a successful company, you still have to progress. You still have to change. You still have to keep up with, you know, the new, right? And I think people think, oh, once you make it, you make it. No, no, no. Longevity, I think, is the hardest part. It's getting to the door and even having it open. That can be difficult, but actually getting through the door and like staying at the table is a, a lot harder, I, I think. And you just really have to love what you do to keep up with that, I think. And your perseverance, was that 
fueled by your passion for what you do, but also your belief that, you know, I just want to put myself out there as, as, as often as I can, because it could just work. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about coming from nothing is you have nothing to lose. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I remember everybody would be like, well, what's your backup plan? I was like, there's no backup plan. It's just like, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, the backup plan, I guess, is I was, an, I was a pretty good waitress. I have great people skills and I was really awesome at it. Like, I think you should try and be the best at whatever you're doing, whatever that job is. Um, and I, I have this conversation with other people in the limelight and I'm like, man, what are, are you worried about your kids? Because like, I had to work for everything. There was no option. Right. right. And and I worry about my kids yeah. not yeah. having those same hurdles and not having yeah. the same ambition or drive because they have not needed. That's not a necessity, right? Because opportunity is already right in front of them. So there's, you know, ways in which I plan on the older they get and making them work for that. Because my favorite thing to say to them is like anytime I kid will be like, well, why can't we just order it? And I'm like, oh, because that costs money and like, you don't have any. You And they'll be like, no, we have lots of money. I'm like, correction, I have lots of money. I was like, you haven't earned anything at this point. You are just living here rent free, which is fine. But like, you have to work for that. My, my kids are already excited. My daughter is wants to work at a coffee shop so bad and she's about to turn nine. But she wants to make her own money and she loves that Great. environment. But it's like, I, I do plan on making my kids work for everything that they do. Like, because it's, it's only going to make them better. It's going to make it worth it. It's going to make that first time I said I got my Ford Explorer Sport and I felt empowered. Like you want your kids to experience that. So it's that's a little tricky, but I think a lot of drive and perseverance and all of that comes from necessity. Were you raised to be independent or were you more raised to rely on others? Um, I definitely not the latter. Um, my mom, it's, you know, part of my life was a single mom and, you know, working to survive and had no help whatsoever. And then, um, even when she got remarried, it was just, I was very independent. My mother, you know, had no choice. Like there was no help. So it was like, you have to go do this. If you want this, like you have to do this. Mm-hmm. I, she had a teacher salary. We all know they don't make anything. So we were barely surviving. Um, and definitely never thriving, which I'm thankful for. I didn't know any different. Um, and and at the same time, like in hindsight, like I see other people that had the same, you know, we grew up in the same area and it's like, they just had everything handed to them, even if it wasn't a lot, but it was still handed to them and they didn't have to work for anything. And that, that shapes your character, your personality, your drive, what you're going to do, like what what success comes from that. Like, I think having to work for it is good. Totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every, every retrospect, um, completely agree. I think having a job as early as possible is yeah. especially a service job, like a waitress. I was a caddy. Yeah. Uh, you, you quickly realize that there's a lot of jerks in the world and a lot of nice people, mostly nice people. Yeah. Um, but in a service job, you like get to meet them all. <laughs> That's what I think everyone during high school, right out, everyone should have to do some kind of service industry job. It's yes. we've all gone out to eat with those people that have never mm-hmm. been in the service industry. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Jesus, you're not the only person here ordering food or drink. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, there's other people here. I don't know if you've noticed them, but um, <laughs> like th- you can tell though. And it's, 
sad because it's it really does enlighten you to like not only how people act towards you, but how you react and how you prize certain people. And you're more apt to hire people that are from that. Like I'm more apt to hire someone that's been in the service industry for something because you know what it is to work your tail off and maybe not be appreciated for it, one. And, And two, you just really know you're a hard worker. I'm making my kids whether they want to or not. And I think it's curious to me that with everything you have going on, playing to these enormous tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that you choose to, like, that's not enough. You now want to have your own show. So that's amazing. Well, uh, it wasn't. I, I said no the first two times, so I didn't did. want it. Yeah, I because, see. you know, and when it comes to talk shows, like think of the most famous talk show host. You know, they're usually either comedians mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they're actors or they're journalists, you know. I am not one of those. So it was like, I was like, why would I do this? Um, But I am glad that I was convinced to do it. And I, you know, finally said yes, because it, I love, I have a great team and I, I love talking to people. I'm naturally curious. Um, I get to have a different kind of creative lane with that. So that's why I do think you should say yes to things that make you uncomfortable because some, sometimes you just never know what life will hand you, you know, or, or what different opportunity might come from it. What have you learned about interviewing people? And do you have any tips for me? Because I'm having to learn how to do this. So and- I don't know if you've had a hard time with this, but listening right off the bat was hard for me because I switched. So usually I'm the person that, mm-hmm. you know, producers would be like, oh, we love when Kelly comes on because she's so talkative. And sometimes people can be very shy or they don't want to say too much or be embarrassed on TV. And I'm like, blah, I will say anything. So Usually I'm like, everybody's like, oh, she's a great guest because she's so talkative. Well, when you're on the flip side, it took a minute for me not to be so communicative constantly, like relating. You have to listen. That's more the job than anything than talking. So, And I know that sounds so horrible to say about oneself, but it took me a minute to to stop talking and just listen. That That was like the hardest thing for me to do because I love connecting with people. Uh, makes total sense for me because, well, I don't know, as a business leader, I, I was always taught by yeah, you're the one talking, you're- like how to communicate and get information across, uh, in your case, entertaining people. And so you're used to being on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. totally different. Yeah. So when you adjust from performing in a stadium with like all these people, to millions of people through a camera and a live audience. How do you adjust to such a different audience experience for you? Well, what's interesting for me is I actually started on camera with a live audience. So I actually, with Idol, I remember them telling us because there was no audience until like the top five. So we were literally performing to this red, they were like, look for the red light. (laughs) We were like, what? And they were like, that means it's recording. (laughs) I was like 19 years old, like, okay. And so I literally was performing to a red light and like the most blacked out room, nothing, you couldn't see anything. I had to connect right off the bat. And they're like, no, you're talking to the people in their living room. So, So my first job in this industry was that, was looking directly into a camera and pretending as if we're all in the same room and trying to connect like that, you know, to win votes. So coming back, people are like, you're very natural on camera. And I was like, well, I feel like I just kind of started that way. So I don't, I just didn't know any, 
I didn't, I didn't know differently, right? I, I, I'm really fascinated with uh, the audience transition. You must be a really adaptive person, like to, mm-hmm. to, to do all those things. And I know you'll probably say, well, it's no big deal. Just I'm trying to figure it out. But it's pretty amazing when you describe all the different experiences you've had and how adaptable you are. Where does that come from? Well, I think I have a dysfunctional childhood to thank for that. Um, I, I didn't know it was. Um, in hindsight, you look back and go, that wasn't normal. But it was normal for me. So we we moved um, a bit in schools and cities and uh, states. Uh, so I think, and then divorce happened, you know, a couple of times. So I think I've just always, I've just had to adapt. I mean, literally with like, Oh, that family is here and now they're gone. And I think, I think I've just had to. And while that was hard, I'm not going to lie, like as a kid to kind of navigate that, I'm, I do think it was just more accepted because I didn't know differently. Mm -hmm. And now in life, my kids are kind of similar to me, though. I feel like they could be thrown in any situation. They've never met a stranger kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've moved a, a couple times with them, even in their seven and almost nine now. So, and we're about to make a big move to New York. So um, I think it, it, it can be hard. And even having this discussion with my daughter, who's like, you know, she's excited about it, but also nervous because her friends are here. So even just having this conversation, like I had to do that too. And it can be hard. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say it's all going to be roses. But I will say you adapted from Nashville to here. You're going to adapt. You're going to find friends. You know, I think I think it does help you in the end of like not being locked into this one comfort zone, right? So I think my childhood is why I'm like that. To me, it's interesting when I meet people like you and I listen to their story and their success. So much of it is founded in difficult times mm-hmm. where we're not even aware that mm-hmm. it's that difficult. And But when we look back, we're like, okay, that's why I'm able to do this or that. Yeah. Uh, successfully. Welcome to therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, I think in your case, it's to me amazing. And also that you're a car person too. Uh, I have to ask you this question. You know, it's yeah. been wonderful to get to know you and like so many people have ideas about you, but to really talk to you as a person, uh, I wanted to end this way, which is, do you have any advice for me as the head of Ford, or if you ran Ford for a day, what would you do? Oh. Would you um, like go to our go to our test track and do donuts or jump raptors, or would you? I think I'd, I I want more than a day because uh-huh. I'd be more than a day. I'd want to. I don't know. I think it's the most incredible. We don't think of things as art, but they really are. Like you forget creating a car, it, its aesthetic appeal. The, the gadgets inside that make your life easier, the smoothness of the ride, you know, from hydraulics. Like if, if you really are like, oh, just, I think that's the most incredible thing to have that kind of brain that can create like, hey, this is accessible. This would be cooler for kids. Or this would be like, you know, uh, even how like my lightning, I could power my entire house yeah. from that truck. That's yeah. incredible to me, especially in a city that has power outages. So yeah. it's just like, it's just a, a really cool thing. But I don't know. I think I'd my big thing is like, I don't even know the logistics behind it, but like even creating solar somehow mm-hmm. for the electric cars where you don't always have to plug in. Like, I don't know. I think there's something there to that as well. But 
I think it would be cool to create a vehicle. So you you would want to like get in the design studios, get all oh the- Oh my God, that would be so fun. And like, yes. let's come up with some, like Jimmy Fallon's pickup truck has a popcorn machine. <laughs> no, it does not. Yes, it does. That, that was his idea is like, I want to have a popcorn machine in the back of my like car. Okay, that's kind of convenient if you're going to a drive-in. Just saying. Yeah, yeah like, totally. <laughs> I wouldn't be as fun. I don't think I'd be yeah, more, like, be techie, more practical, like, like practical. Yeah. I'm like yeah. practical. I'm not as fun, but, um, maybe I'd ask my kids for things <laughs> like ideas. I think we, yeah, we got to do that. So we got to get you to Dearborn. Yeah. I don't think people realize that we only have like an hour to make a car and it has to last like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles. And we, we design oh it, but we, we get all the parts together just in time. And then we only have like an hour to make it <laughs> and then, and then it better That's last incredible. for like a couple hundred thousand miles. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing when you see it all come together, industrial ballet. And it's incredible too, because I think people forget even like making a record, it takes so many people that you mm -hmm. never see or hear about to even Correct. get that record there. Correct. So the same amount of thing with, with the factory workers or whoever's making like the design team from the people like, you know, actually picking the parts and, and then the people actually putting it together. Like there's a whole system of people to, that thought all that out. It's Boy, an art form. It's incredible. It is. It's, uh, I wish and everyone, a team effort. Like, like you said about making a record, I wish everyone could really understand. Same with uh, the car. Well, that, yeah, that's my favorite thing. Uh, there were only a few of us who started Lexus and my, my family's from Michigan. So when I, when I got out of UCLA grad school and decided to work for Toyota, my family's like, um, I'm glad you have a job, yep. but you're not welcome in my house anymore. So I didn't, I didn't go home for eight years. I wasn't welcome. <laughs> I work, I work for the enemy. Oh my God, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, I was kind of thrown out of our family. Talk about your cousin. You're, you were the black sheep, like that film. <laughs> like, oh really? yeah. yeah. I was a black sheep from um, business, but Chris definitely worked really hard in getting kicked out of any <laughs> organized event for our family. He want, We had one family reunion where he, I think he had got kicked out of college his fourth time oh and he God. had just lost his job as a swimming guard at, in Madison, Wisconsin, which is like a two month job max. It's really seasonal. <laughs> job. He just Couldn't lost even. that job because he partied all night and slept through and some. He's a creative. Oh yeah, you got to watch out for us. <laughs> he he's, we went to a bar. He stole every picture in the bar and brought it home to our house and the police came the next day because the, the bar wanted all the pictures back. That oh was Chris. God. He was always the same guy. Um, well, but, consistency but, is admirable. <laughs> he was very consistent. <laughs> yes. Uh, we started a Cinnabon fight in the Chicago O'Hare airport. Um, um, I, we were trying to get back to my grandmother's funeral. All I heard was you possibly wasted Cinnabon. <laughs> like, yeah. No, he bought all the Cinnabons out of the restaurant in the O'Hare airport and then gave them to people. And we started a huge food fight and then oh we got God. kicked. We got kicked out by the police who got kicked out of O'Hare. And then we missed our connecting flight and missed my grandmother's funeral. That's Chris Farley right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cousin. We had a great time, but no oh one God. in Madison, Wisconsin understood why we had 
totally missed the funeral because it was really funny and we had did a good you, time. Did you own the story or did you make up a different one? <laughs> no, we owned it. We went, we were like, my dad's, where the fuck are you going? God damn it. You missed your own grandmother's funeral. It's like, well, I don't know, dad. <laughs> we started a, a food fight in O'Hare Airport and we got, we got in trouble. <laughs> oh my God. I changed that story up and, and polish it and be like, we connected with so many people there. We made friends with so many yeah. people there. You got to politician that up. You got to make it yeah. sound different. That's a good idea. I have like a thousand <laughs> stories like that for Chris. Yeah, you got to uh, polish Chris. them. So we're right. such a I'll great humanitarian. <laughs> Between us. <laughs> cool. There you go. Well, well, best wishes on everything, Kelly. Thank you Thank so you. much for your time. It's been such a treat to meet you. And, um, and we love the fact that you love your Fords. Love all of them. Um, Anyways, thank you most of all for your time. We know how Absolutely. valuable. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And thanks for asking cool questions. I've been doing interviews like the past two weeks, and this was different from every one of them. So thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm an amateur, but I. No, I, I think that's maybe the beautiful part of it is people don't realize like just asking your own curious questions is like, it's far more interesting sometimes, you know? All right. All Have right. a good afternoon, Kelly. All right. You too, Jim. Bye, y'all. Good success. Bye. Drive is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise. Our production staff includes Julian Att, Eva Walchover, and Kristen Muller. With help from Lori Arpin, Krista Gentile, Max Owen Dunell, Catherine Sanders, Darnell Macon, and Mark Truby. Our host is Jim Farley, and this is Drive.